that's the name of the show. Do good, feel good. Now you're in the know. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Do Good, Feel Good. I'm actually recording inside a house right now. This is your host, Lauren, and I'm joined by budding Instagram influencer, Plant Man Joe. What's up, Plant Man Joe? Hey, just waking up to a snowy morning here, unseasonably snowy. We're looking out at pine trees all covered with snow and decks covered in about six inches. It's crazy, y'all. As you know, Kansas City was hot and sunny and Boulder was sunny just two days ago. It's actually maybe sunny still, but there's a lot of snow outside and it's September, so that's not quite right to me. Anyways, um, this is uh, our Boulder recording. It's been a great time. I've been staying in a group house. I don't know if that's what y'all call it. He's, it seems that it is. Um, but it's been fun, and I've learned a lot about plants. Everyone here seems to know about plants and natural things, and Plant Man Joe is the chief expert. So we're going to learn all about it and how he is benefiting the world with all types of plant, um, plant fun. So the theme is benefiting the world, which seems lofty, but I suppose you all have to start somewhere. Um, so yeah, my interest in plants actually was sparked, in fact, by an interest in benefiting the world. In this case, I was particularly interested in animals, and I liked the idea of conservation biology and creating habitat for animals. And I realized if I knew which plants to plant, I could create functional ecosystems that were attractive to wildlife. And then also, as it turns out, I could make a living from plants and have a gardening business. So um, anyway, so, you know, one thing led to the next. Here I am years later working with plants, started off with the idea that I'm helping animals. But as it turns out, you know, restoring ecosystems whenever possible. Um, and then it turns out it's just as much for people as well. The more and more I do this, the more I realize it's about um, creating gardens that benefit people also. So every garden kind of has its theme and underlying all of the garden spaces is my personal motivation of connecting people to nature. And this can happen in a multitude of ways, you know, uh, one of which is just being able to sit down and sort of relax in a garden and notice the great diversity of life that is buzzing about everywhere. But it also is, you know, can benefit people in a more direct way also. I create a lot of food gardens, so planting lush, abundant produce. People get to eat really great, healthy food right out of the garden. Um, this also, uh, I guess, benefits the world in that it's, you know, providing healthy food. But it helps uh, spark people's interest also. So I've had people that have switched to a vegan diet and they start growing all their own food and it's like very exciting to them. Um, and there's some people that come out just because they need a chance to get outside and get a little exercise. And it turns out uh, pulling weeds and digging holes and all that is just what they've been needing. Um, so anyway, that's kind of a quick rundown and we can get more specific. Okay, awesome. So you do a lot of different things with plants. I've seen the photos and videos, and y'all can check them out soon on Plant Man Joe on Instagram, and I'll link to it in this um, episode info. So just because we need to get people like lured in and excited, we can first start out by talking about something that isn't 
necessarily, I think, benefiting a whole lot of people, but it is going to be all the rage, and that is bonsai trees. Um, you have helped trees. Like, what do you call it when you basically train? Is it training a tree once it's dying? Can you talk a little bit about how you make things that seem like they're dying come alive and use the example of the bonsai tree hashtag Cobra Kai? Sure. So bonsai, I can't oh, bonsai. That's, I can't say that I'm a bonsai expert, um, or bonsai expert for that matter. Um, Wait, but th- is everyone saying it wrong? You know, I'm. I think it's bonsai, but you know, I haven't taken any Japanese classes, and you know, sometimes you have to do things bonsai style. Oh shoot! <laughs> um, but anyway, in regards uh, to bonsai trees, um. So you say how to take something that's dying and bring it to life. So it's not necessarily that it's dying, but you'll often see a very rugged reflection of nature, you know, sort of reflected in bonsai trees. We're looking at trees that naturally look like they're windswept or have dead limbs or broken limbs or even in some case rotten, hollowed trunks. And the idea is to accentuate this rugged elegance of time and age and tough environment and then actually have a vibrantly alive tree that sort of highlights all of those more gnarled, aged features. So this is sort of an ideal that one strives for uh, while creating a bonsai tree. And so I uh, I needed a little practice, and I actually practice on a common garden perennial, which is just not really a tree. It's not even really that woody, just a little bit. And so I took it in the early spring, and I trained it to, you know, it was in a garden. The person didn't want it because it looked very leggy or it was kind of like had big dead looking trunks and it was laying down flat on the ground and it was growing out into the sidewalk, not where it's supposed to be anymore. And so the lady let me dig it up. And so I trained it into what looks like a nice bonsai tree. But um, really a lot of very good bonsai are also wild collected, either from areas that need to get thinned for forest fire mitigation or um, with certain permits, you can also pull them. So that's called Yamadori, you know, collecting wild trees. And that's how most of the best uh, bonsai trees are created, starting with a wild material, then improving it through stylizing it or training it in different ways. And then eventually, after usually about two years after collection, you're ready to do the first uh, stylizing or potting of the tree. So you might change the angle it's sitting and bend certain branches using wire. You might uh, cut some of the limbs off and create what's called a gin, which is a deadwood feature. So, how do you spell that? Oh, I'm the worst person to ask for spelling. <laughs> is it like G A E N or G G I N or G I T E N? We're gonna have to we're gonna have to put that one on the Instagram. All right, everyone, fact check us, tweet us the answer. Okay, keep going. So, so that's kind of the idea. By creating these deadwoods, you show the age of the the tree you know you show that it's lived long enough to create these branches which have since died back and through carving the branches you can make them look as if they've weathered out in the sun being bleached by the sun and uh, worn down by the elements of you know being particles of windblown sand kind of uh, exposing the grain of the wood and so in this way you create the sense of uh, many hundreds or in some cases thousands of years all contained within a small pot that you can bring in uh, from the outside and decorate your house with for a couple of weeks at a time. Wow. Okay, I have a few questions. One, um, I like the term rugged elegance. I think this is something that women who are feeling like insecure about aging could use. 
and they could just be like, I'm actually just ruggedly elegant. Or people who are spending a lot of time in nature, like who might have leathery skin, which might be how my skin looks at the end of this long trip since I'll eventually be outside hiking. So maybe later on in the podcast, you can talk to me about some type of palm fruit that has good qualities for helping skin or some kind of plants that people might not know about that might be good for their complexion. Even though that that does make people feel good, which is also part of the podcast. Sure, health and beauty. Okay. I love it. So pause on that. The other thing I wanted to ask was before you pot it, like if you take a plant from outside, I forgot what term you used. Yamadori. Yamadori, and you're training it. What are you doing with it before you put it in the pot? Like do you plant it in your own yard? So there's a number of different styles. There's thought to be a certain uh, ideal season for collecting plants, usually in the early spring while the tree is still dormant, getting ready to put buds out. You'll collect it from the wild, being careful to get as many roots as possible. Carefully bind the roots so that during transport, soil doesn't fall away and roots don't break or dry out. Then you'll bring it back to your nursery or house. And usually these these trees have... Uh, intricate root structures that don't fit into a conventional pot so you'll have to build sort of a a larger tray out of wood and you put it in there and there are some mixed schools of thought for the best soil medium a lot of people like using uh, pure pumice which is like a a volcanic rock sometimes called feather rock uh, of a fine uh, medium to fine grit and they fill that as their only soil mix that way they can water every day with and know that they won't rot give root rot to the trees. I'm using a product called Turfus, which is a fired clay, and I'm mixing it with pine forest duff because we're up here in this house. We got a lot of pine trees. What is pine forest duff? It's the, um, it's like an organic layer of partially broken down pine needles and pine bark that, uh, characterizes the, is kind of the topsoil of a pine forest. Wow. And we have a lot of it because it kind of falls down into our driveway and we're cleaning it up anyway. Um, so like that. And uh, I mix that with a little bit of turfus, which is a fired clay granule. And I've been using that as my soil. Although I'd like to use pumice, I don't have a good supply of it at the moment. Interesting. Where, When did you start learning about plants? Do you have like formal training in all of this? Because I know that you've done research around the world. I have done a lot of ethnobotanical research, specifically in Ecuador, trying to introduce a number of tribal uh, foods and daily use herbs and superfoods, uh, trying to introduce those to Western markets and introduce um, processing practices to the communities to provide a source of ongoing income that relates more to the ecosystem that's from. I was traveling in South America, you know, I really love jungle ecosystems. Like I said, I'm into conservation and I mostly for the purpose of animals, but I realized I had to work with people to make that work. And one of the practices I saw which was really disturbing to me and I realized needed to change is that it's really common for, you know, some of these, the tribal people to get influenced by commercial, uh, you know, organizations or producers of commodities, you know, uh, corn, even chocolate, some of these things. And people are going through cutting the forest down, planting all of this one crop. And to me, that didn't seem like the best model because everybody can grow corn. We have a lot of corn in the world. And, you know, I see that standing forest and I say, wow, there's such a much uh, better diversity of wealth there on so many fronts. You know, just being able to learn from that ecosystem in and of itself has great wealth. 
but even the products that come out of there. And so, you know, I was researching a bunch of uh, different types of trees that can grow in deep shade, medium shade, and also grow as the, the primary canopy trees, all of which can produce uh, viable commercial crops and are also usable to animals. So anyway, that's a little bit about what I was doing down in South America. Kind of lost my train of thought. Um, so, but, okay, have you had formal training? Or, like, these are projects that you just kind of took the initiative on and left and... Yeah, I took the I took the initiative. So I, for that one, you know, I turned 18. I graduated high school. I went straight down to the jungle of Ecuador. Well, actually, I traveled in the highlands first with a, a shaman up there, a yachuk. He took me all across the Andes from the upper part of Ecuador all the way down to the border of Peru and then back up again. And after traveling with him for a month or two, then I went down into the jungle and spent a number, another number of months down in the jungle living in the uh, tribal districts. Um, I was with Schwa, jungle Schwa uh, communities and uh, Quechua communities. And then on my last trip, I... I started pushing out to some of the Waurani communities even deeper in the jungle, um, which was a lot more primitive. I didn't spend as much time there because for some of the research I was doing, I did need access to electricity for creating the lab that I was working in. Um, so I kind of would get to the end of the road where the electricity stopped. I'd set up a lab there and then I'd do day trips deeper in. Okay, and these were just things that you funded and just wanted to do. So it wasn't like sponsored by like a university or anything. No, so you know my here I am in Boulder, Colorado. You know we're the a hub of so many different of the natural foods industry, beauty industry. We've got so many amazing natural products, health, you know all this sort of stuff. And so my hope was that by going down there, uh, I you know I funded this research actually with a landscaping business that I have. Uh, which was hard, you know, to fund all that research. I was, by the time I got around to getting all this research done, I was in my early 20s. And the hope was to uh, find an angel investor. So I created an energy drink using an Amazonian herb called Wayusa, which at the time wasn't available in Western markets, mostly because it wasn't where the regions it grew in weren't accessible by road. And so I went in and preemptively started getting people to grow this stuff because I knew that there was a development plan of, you know, within five years of putting in an international airport close to the region that this stuff was growing wild. And I knew that that was going to open the roads up and then also give a, a, a route of shipment out. So anyway, so I went in trying to set up the first world's first agriculture of this stuff, uh, Wayusa, which is related to Yerba Mate. It's in the um, Ilex. It's in the Holly family. So anyway... Uh, I created an energy drink with that, and I was hoping to get investment for the energy drink and then continue my side research for beauty products. I was doing cold-pressed oils and essential oils. And then the idea was to sell a portion of that uh, energy drink business and then invest in, in all of these other side projects related to diversity and uh, really building community down there. Well, speaking of angel investors... Thanks to our sponsor, Anchor FM, who's our angel investor right now, giving us one penny per listen. Let's hear an ad. And we're back. Okay, so this is a very interesting topic for those of you who are just tuning in, which would be weird because you'd have to fast forward through half of the episode. But we're talking about all things plants. So what are you doing now 
in regards to what do you call what you do? Like plant life? Yeah. So what what I'm doing now is I've got a landscaping business in Boulder, Colorado called Lusciously Local. And just yesterday, preparing for this big snowstorm, I was out covering gardens with big tarps because we should have another month of growing and for some reason we're getting this snow so i went out and covered all the vegetable gardens and i brought in i've got some tropical trees that were planted outside i went and dug those and brought them into the greenhouse um and so that's that's what i've been up to and had a nice season of putting in gardens i'll post some pictures on instagram showing you a nice little waterfall and some of these um these yamadori trees is it so are you allowed to just take a tree from anywhere no you need to get a permit uh, a transplant permit for trees of a certain size. Every dis district is different. You can also get permission on private land to dig trees. Um, but yeah, every state is different and every county is different. In this case, uh, working with Boulder County, I, I've bought uh, transplant permits uh, that will allow me to move trees of a certain size. Those trees are for personal use only. Okay, what does that mean? Well, I mean, I think it means that uh, you can't do it as some commercial venture. So if you're, like, creating, like, beautiful gardens and, like, landscapes in people's yards and you're using those trees, is that technically... I uh, If I haven't used any of those trees yet, I've used ones from private land, uh, but I'm sure you can make it work as long as you're not selling the tree. Interesting. So, you know, because it is, it still is for my personal use, I need somewhere to plant the trees so that we can train them over the years into these uh, masterpiece yeah. uh, works of art. So, you know, one could probably plant them at various gardens as long as you're not directly selling the tree. So I think I keep coming back to this question, but did you have any formal training? Like, how how do you know so much about plants? Oh, yeah, that's where I lost my training. Yeah. Thought last time. <laughs> so just years of doing it. I don't have any formal training. I did. Uh, I volunteered for years over at the university greenhouse in CU. Um, I didn't go to college, so I, I wasn't a student there, but I was lucky enough to be able to, uh, I got a plant collection permit that allowed international import of plants. So I collected plants from all over the world, and I was lucky enough that they would take those plants into their teaching collection at the university, or maybe they were lucky that I was bringing them plants, either way you look at it. Um, so that was a great opportunity to learn. Uh, also, I've been doing it since I was a kid. I'll put, I'll post a picture. There's a little picture of me transplanting a plant when I'm about five years old that I dug up from a garden somewhere. So are your fam is your family really into plants too? Not at all. I seem to be the only gardener or farmer in the family. I feel like you're a savant of plants. Well, there's plenty of stuff I don't know. Um, and the kind of stuff that I do know might not be all the technical stuff that you could learn about, but a lot of stuff I know is stuff that one learns through observation. That's one thing that's amazing about the natural world is that, you, you know, you can go forth with a question and if you're patient enough or observe long enough or remember your question long enough, eventually the answer will be revealed. If you come to look at a certain flower and you wonder, I wonder what pollinates this flower, if you sit by that flower long enough, you'll find all of the insects that are related to that flower. You'll come to learn the life cycle of that flower. You'll see how it looks in all the different phases of life if you just show up and observe. So have you ever lived in a big city? Uh, I have not lived in a big city. I visited. I was, uh, I was in Hollywood for a little while. Um, 
during his acting days. Back in the uh, back in the acting days. Um and then no, I've mostly been in Boulder. You know, Boulder has grown up into a little bit of a city, but you know, it was very much a town uh, up until, you know, about 10 years ago it really started getting turning into a small city. Yeah, I feel like so I live in DC and all my friends and I we just have like succulents or like kind of viney plants and we really don't know like what types of plants that we can actually grow indoors. So do you have any um any advice for people who want to kind of up their plant game? Sure. Yeah, indoor plants, you know, there's usually even in big cities, there's generally some sort of wholesale florists or um even just local plant shops and they're usually well stocked in a multitude of tropical plants that are adapted to shade. You know, if you don't have a well-lit space, you're going to need very shade tolerant plants. Um, these are plants that would normally grow, you know, in jungle ecosystems well underneath the primary canopy trees where they're always in deep shade. Um, if you do have a nice bright uh, window, then you can look at growing things that require a bit more light. And if you really want to turn your apartment into a living jungle ecosystem, you can start by having some plants closer to the window to filter the light and the ones that like less light further and further back. And this way you can get uh, multi-layered planting. And uh, one thing to also consider in the house is that certain plants are triggered to flower by light hour changes or cold. So I know certain orchids, it seems that if they get a little bit of a cooler temperature in the winter, they start blooming. So by having them near a window, not so close that they freeze, but by having them near the window, that slight cold draft in the winter might even trigger some blooming. Interesting. So is there anything that you want to tell the world about plants that you don't think we've covered here? Like what's something that everybody should know? Well, um, everything in this uh, world is interconnected and plants and animal life go hand in hand. Um, so it's important to know that we are connected to the plants around us um, and we rely on them. So, and similarly, if, if you have them in your house, they're relying on you. True that. And giving you some nice oxygen in exchange. Do you have a life mission statement? Um, well, I would say that it... Um, I certainly know it used to be to conserve as many jungle ecosystems as possible. And locally, I've been uh, here in Colorado, locally, I've been uh, planting a lot of pollinator gardens and a lot of food gardens uh, with the idea of more efficient use of resources. So a lot of low water gardens um, that are usable to a diversity of pollinators. Um, but yeah, always looking at, at improving the environment and connecting people to nature. All right. I don't know if... Um, this is, okay, we're just going to hop right into it. This is what you guys have all been tuning into. You've been wanting to find out how plants can bring you love because it seems like you've got to put a lot of love into your plants. And if you're giving plants, if you're giving plants what they need to survive and they are giving it right back to you, technically they should give you love back. Would you say being a plant expert has allowed you to find love? Sometimes it's allowed me to find more love than I'm prepared for. Whoa. With humans? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> At times. Okay. Um, so, <clears throat> what's the question again? If I found... Have plants helped you find love? 
Well, sure. Have they found... Oh, funny have, well, just answer however you want. Do you think that plants have, like, have you ever had a relationship that started because of plants? Slash, do, do you think that plants are a good activity okay, to yeah, do let's with the Let's do ask anything. the question again. Okay, I'll answer it. Let's ask okay. the question again. Have plants ever helped you find love? Sure. Almost too much at sometimes. So there's a, there's an urban farm that I put down in Denver and for part of this, you know, I have to recruit volunteers. So I'd be out there working every day and it's by a yoga studio. Oh, shoot. And so, yeah, all the time people would be walking by from the yoga studio and I would engage them in conversation, talk to them about um, kind of what we were up to in the gardens. And in this way, I got this big group of volunteers um, and, and we were able to create this great garden space together and really come together as a group and some of these people are still dear friends of mine today and in this way we've grown our networks and friendships and uh, blossomed in in love in that way and you know as far as the gardens go they gave us so much delicious produce you know i suppose uh, as a result of putting our love and attention into the earth so anyway that's one way all right he decided to not go with a romantic answer for that one ladies just maybe you'll find love by starting to garden. It's always nice to meet someone that has a shared interest with you. So maybe there's... But you better watch out and make sure he's not just going to turn you into a garden volunteer. Oh. But also if he does, then at least you'll be doing good for the world. So you'll still feel good about it. And you'll probably be absorbing some vitamin D from the sun and getting some free food maybe. But, you know, plants and romance have been tied together for you know all of written history i mean what plays or books don't have a romance scene that starts in the garden or or you know how long have blossoms been tied to romance you know you always have to bring a bouquet of just the right blossoms to to your suitor that's uh, that's good also like on bachelor you know that they distribute those roses what if they were distributing something else it probably wouldn't have the same effect have you ever gave someone a very unique bouquet or something instead of like a traditional, like I think the bouquets that we see in our stores are like roses, carnations. I haven't actually seen a carnation in a long time. I feel like that's just for like prom, um, like I don't even remember what they're called, boutonnieres. So what would you say is a nice unique bouquet of flowers or plants that you should give your lover or new love? Well, I'm always fond of tuberose, which is highly fragrant and um, has a way of perfuming the, the whole space. Lilies are quite nice. I mean, it can be a bit much if people don't like the smell of flowers. I do. And so I like that. If the season is right and you happen to have a lush garden where you have tree peonies planted, there's a few varieties of tree peony that are fragrant, and those are pretty magical. Um but, you know, why just flowers to smell? I mean, even, you know, plants are so sensuous just even in the process of eating them. I mean, just think about, you know, luscious strawberries or peaches and the juice sort of dripping down from those. You know, many people like the peeling the many layers of the artichoke with a lover <laughs> and kind of that mouth action of having to remove the flesh from each petal of the artichoke whoa guys this is getting insane this is getting so intense but not as intense as your new band 
hot nectar. Want to talk about that? Well, when the nectar is hot, the hummingbirds just get going. That's right. This is actually just a joke because yesterday um, the hummingbirds were trying to come and get some nectar from the hummingbird feeder, but it's too cold here. So I guess you heated up the nectar and wrapped a warming cloth around it like a sleeping bag. So like we've been saying, this is very unseasonal snow. It's really early to have a frost. It was 100 degrees Fahrenheit and now it's dropped to below 30 degrees Fahrenheit with major snow. So some of our residential hummingbirds haven't left for the year. And also hummingbirds that are coming down from the north, the migratory flocks are kind of coming through, uh, not expecting this cold of weather. So we've been putting a hummingbird feeder out for them uh, so that they can at least intake some calories to try to stay warm. But we've uh, we've had to gently warm up the the sugar solution that they drink and insulate the feeder so that it doesn't freeze. Um, and we have been seeing some birds coming. They definitely look like they're not as lively as usual, but uh, hopefully they make it through. This cold spell's only supposed to last three days. I hope so. I hope it lasts only three days and they survive. Okay, quick last two questions because it turns out our freshly prepared breakfast has now been done. Here's a fun segment we're bringing back this season. It's called Shit Corner. What is something recently that is like kind of shitty that's happened to you that you want to vent about? Well, you know, with uh, all the social distancing, I haven't been able to get as much uh, contact as I'd like. So that's been kind of lame. Although I'm pretty excited about this breakfast we're having. So that's sort of nice. Yeah. Fresh kale out of the garden, charred eggs from, uh, from a friend, got duck eggs. And hen eggs. I didn't know we were having duck eggs. Wow, that's how Woo! it goes. Well, um, well, after shit corner comes inner tickle, which is when you're supposed to say something good that's happened to you. So okay. it's your inner tickle breakfast. My inner tickle is thinking about next time I get to go dangle off of a cliff in search of the perfect bonsai. Ooh. So you can quit waxing off. And collect a tree, Mr. Miyagi style. That's right. And then we can watch some Cobra Kai. Yeah, and root down to plant it up. Am I right? That's what we're doing. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Whoa! That was a high five. Okay, check out his Instagram, Plant Man Joe. We're going to put all the pictures that we referenced up. The before and after of the bonsai. You as a child with your plant. What else did you reference? We're making a verbal commitment to put this up. A video of some kind, the before and after of a garden. That's what we'll do. You'll see it all. We'll show you some of this snow. Yeah, we'll show you the snow. Okay, guys, I hope you liked the episode. Let us know. Rate, review, subscribe, and keep listening. Ciao. I think it was good. Okay.